Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. If you lost it, you can have another one. They're free. They get what you pay for, but they're free. Uh, on all the communion tables throughout the room, there are sermon notes that go along with what we're talking about. Uh, what I do is I have somebody else kind of read through my messages and do sermon notes. I have somebody else read through my message and do the slides that you see. Uh, behind me because I want people to have different perspectives. I'm telling you this because someone asked me after first service about this. Like, how come they seem to be a little bit different and everything? And that's because I want you to get a wider perspective of what I'm talking about. And so I try to get people to do different things so they would see different things so you can see different things as we walk through stuff. So grab some sermon notes. Uh, They go along with what we're talking about. You might see some other stuff. There's some questions that will take you deeper. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called YouVersion. Click on More and then Events in YouVersion. We're going to up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And it says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would continue to teach us what it means to see this world the way that you do, and that we would understand the difference between the meaninglessness of what the things that we chase after are and the meaningfulness that you are and bring into our lives, the difference between trying to find stuff to fulfill us rather than resting and trusting in you and what you have done. So teach us today to begin to be this people that honor you and the great wisdom that you have given us to live out your call in our lives. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing this uh, series of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is week three of that. We are calling the series the Existential Hangover. Uh, Existential relates to existence, affirming to it what is the meaning of life, because we tend in our lives to run after a whole lot of things, thinking they're the point, and in the end those things are meaningless. Uh, it also calls it, and be translated as a vapor or vanity or something like that. It all means the same thing. We keep striving and looking for things to fulfill us, and when we get that next thing that we thought, that we needed that's going to make our life complete it doesn't complete us ecclesiastes is about the day you wake up after you got everything you thought you wanted a new house a new car new spouse i don't whatever it is and you wake up the next day and yet you're still you you're still you and the book raises all these questions and contrasts life under the sun meaning where we live our human experience the things we create without god and then what god actually does and i warn you the first six weeks of this series are going to be very depressing solomon keeps coming back to certain ideas that put us in a place to look at our world and say oh everything is meaningless but i need you to understand something because i've talked to a few of you over the last week who are feeling really depressed about this you shouldn't it's why i always try to end every message coming back to the idea of the gospel and the hope that god brings solomon writes ecclesiastes before jesus came we get to live after he came and that brings us great joy because all the things that he was looking for are found in jesus and that's why we go there so don't be depressed or sad god has brought meaning into the meaninglessness but that's the end of my message so first i'm going to make you really depressed Uh, Solomon (laughs) tried to find meaning under the sun by pursuing all the favorite things that people on earth do. Now, I get it. Sometimes people do something new, like they devote their life to World of Warcraft or something like that. But mostly, we find ourselves running in different directions in six six different areas. First off, wealth. 
We run after wealth. We all think, if I just had more money, my life would be more meaningful, and I'd be able to relax a little bit more, which is kind of strange, because if you're at a certain place in your life, when you were a teenager, you probably thought, man, if I could just make that amount of money. And today, most of you probably make that or more than you thought in high school, if I could just make that amount of money. And you're still like, I need to make more money because it doesn't satisfy. Solomon is a guy who had a fleet of ships that would bring him gold from all over the known world, and it didn't satisfy. He says it's meaningless. The second thing we do is to run after power. We think if we had more control over the things or the people around us, we'd be happier. But the more control you think you have, the more you realize how much control you don't actually have. Solomon is a guy who ruled over much of the known world at his time, and yet he found that power was vanity. It is meaningless. Thirdly, religion. A lot of people try and run after different things and they're going to devote our lives to this, whatever it is, and that's going to fulfill me. And so I'm going to do all the right things and that will make this God, whatever it is, love me more and give me the things that I want. It doesn't work. Solomon tried many religions, all of which were <laughs> opposed to who God was, and none of them fulfilled. Uh, fourthly, friends, right? How many of us think, man, if I just got to hang out with my friends all the time, it would be great. We're going to buy a, a hippie commune and we're all going to live in it. It'll be wonderful because we're all hanging out together. After a few weeks or a few months, you're going to want to kill everyone, okay? It's just, it's just how it works. Solomon's a guy who had enough money to pay for all of his friends, his posse to hang out with him all the time. And he realizes this too is meaningless because they're driving me crazy. Uh, fifthly, work. A lot of people are like, man, if I could just get that job, that perfect job that I always, I'll be so fulfilled, it'll be so wonderful. And then you get that job. And after a while, you realize it becomes boring and meaningless like everything else in your life. It's monotonous. Solomon could have learned any skill, done any job. And he says, it is meaningless. And then sixthly is, is pleasure. Our society today runs after all these temporary things, thinking that they're going to last. And they don't. There's this great book out called The Experience Economy, and it talks about what our current economy is based upon experience. We pay for experiences. You go to the movies. That's an experience. You go to Disneyland. That's an experience. You don't walk away from Disneyland with anything but lighter pockets. Right? It's, it's all kind of depressing. We run after experiences. Starbucks, no one should pay that much for a cup of coffee. Spoke from a guy who doesn't like coffee. But no one should pay that much. What you pay for at Starbucks is the experience. It's all about seeking and looking for pleasure. Solomon had anything his eyes saw. He tries everything from food to stuff to women. And he says, it is meaningless. It is meaningless. After all these things, he says everything that comes from the hand of man that gives cannot give any indicator of why we're here or bring ultimate satisfaction. Solomon says, you can trust me. I have tried everything under the sun to find satisfaction and meaning, and it's all vapor. What he comes to the conclusion of, which we'll eventually see, is that success in our lives is not getting what we think we want. It's trusting God for what we need. Have you ever seen those posters, successories, right? Then they have, like, teamwork, and they have, like, a bunch of people. You, it's got a nice little thing underneath them. Uh, other people come along, and they write these demotivational posters that mock motivational posters. Solomon would be the guy that writes the demotivational posters. Like, here's one. It says, ambition. The journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. Like as one ship rams to another. It's also done with a bear. Like here's this salmon swimming a thousand miles. I'm going to mate and procreate. Chomp, bear. Right? Sometimes a journey of a thousand miles ends very, very, that's Solomon. That's what he's trying to say in Ecclesiastes. It can end very, very badly. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. 
And we're going to look more of Solomon's journey, what he did to try and find meaning apart from God in his life, meaning in the created world, what comes from human hands under the sun. I told you last week that when David, King Solomon's dad, died, Solomon becomes king, and God says, ask me for anything that you want. What did Solomon ask for? Do you remember? Wisdom. That's great, like 10 of you. It's like last service, one person paid attention. I don't, I don't get it. But yes, wisdom. And he didn't, he didn't ask for money or fame or power or his own lane on the 405 or the prototype for the new iPhone. He asked for wisdom. And this so pleased God that God gave him wisdom and power and wealth. But I think it's like Spider-Man where Uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility because he didn't live it with great responsibility. Okay. So where we left off last week, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. That's his power. I'm the king. And I applied my heart to seek and search out wisdom by all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So what's his conclusion? Verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity. That's meaningless. That's vapor. And striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. What he says is we cannot fix ourselves. Solomon says life is a complete mess, everything is crooked and broken, and we can't fix it because we ourselves are crooked and broken, which is supposed to take us to the place that we realize God is the only one with the power and the ability to fix this cursed and broken earth that we live upon. It's why everything in our lives seems to break. Just when things start to go well, the car is running right, your computer hasn't freaked out in a couple days, boom, something happens. It always breaks and it drives us nuts. Solomon wants us to understand that anyone who tries to straighten out their lives or the earth by morality or just spirituality is simply trying to catch the wind. We don't have the resources or the time or the funds. There's nothing new that we can do. And I thought a good way to illustrate this this week rather than my little vapor bottle I keep spraying water out of this week, was to show you this, okay? So I have gone out, and I have captured some wind, okay? Got this from Pismo Beach, okay? I got this out of my backyard. I know it looks like it came from Casmelia because it's really dirty. Um, this is my own wind. <laughs> but look at him. Do you see the nuances and the differences as they blow around? In the, I'm, I'm really thinking if Element never works out, I'm going to go be a wind farmer, and I'll sell it because people can see such a differences in the wind as I catch it in these bottles because it's so amazing. That's stupid, right? It's completely stupid. It's, it's just air in a bottle. You can't catch wind in case you thought you could. It's like, wow, he really did? No, okay? But this is what Solomon is saying. We're actually going to run around and try and catch wind because to catch wind, it's going to solve everything. It doesn't. Life is like that. You're running around trying to catch wind. There's no nuances and difference of what's in those jars. He says, I, King Solomon, wealthy, powerful, wise, set out to discover all that's happening under heaven. He will use his five senses to do all this, and he's going to, in the end, say it's meaningless. Everything is meaningless under the sun apart from God. Verse 16, he says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is a striving after wind. 
For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And there's a bit here, so let me walk through this with you. Verse 16. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. We read this, and we think this sounds very arrogant of someone to say. I've done it all. You need to listen to me. Solomon is a guy. He's older at the end of his life, and this is written in repentance of the things he has done. He's saying, please, listen to me. I have done it all. You don't need to make a mess of your life because I have done it for you. He's trying to remind you of all that he has done. My dad right now, my dad uh, doesn't believe in God, and he's listened to a guy named Christopher Hitchens who is an atheist. And the last time I was visiting my dad, he was like, Christopher Hitchens says this, and Christopher Hitchens says that. And finally I was like, Dad, Christopher Hitchens is a hypocrite, and this is why. And I laid laid it all out for him. What Solomon says is, is, I am smarter than you, Christopher Hitchens. I have done all this stuff. I've had more women than you ever will, Wilt Chamberlain. I am richer than you, Mr. Zuckerberg or Mr. Bezos. You can't beat me. If you have any halfway naive notion that there's something I haven't tried to find meaning in apart from God, you are mistaken because I've done it all. Verse 17, and I applied my heart to no wisdom and no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. So you know that all of his research was thorough. He says, I, I explored both systems. I explored wisdom and folly both. So he goes wisdom. We call this like the highbrow life of wisdom. So what does he do? Well, in our vernacular, he probably went out and got a, got a really nice set of clothing, a suit that doesn't come off the rack. He got some good wine that didn't come out of a box or have a screw top on top of it. Uh, he learned and had dinners where he knew what all those forks were for, and he uses them all correctly. He attended plays and operas where large Italian women yell at you and you act like it's enjoyable. You know, uh, he got a driver. He rides in the back of the car like he's someone. He got the, the softest, best mattress he could find and slept in a comfortable bed. He went to all the great schools and got all the letters after his name that people with complicated lives have. And he realizes all these people and I am still perennially unhappy. My life is much a waste of time. Everyone is messed up like everyone else. So then he says, I tried the life of folly. This would be like the lowbrow life. Like after that, I'm going to go and just try and do things simply. He probably looks around, sees his drunken redneck neighbors and says, they look happy, drunk and not too bright, so let's, let's try that. So he goes out and probably starts mowing his lawn. Uh, he probably changes his own oil and throws cat litter on it when he spills it. At least you should, something like that. Uh, he watches wrestling on TV and claims it's totally real. He said that guy. He stops uh, wearing suits and got a closet full of T-shirts that say like Patriots, Rams. <laughs> Our refs can see the ball, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Sells his house, buys an Airstream or a double wide, and puts all of his furniture on the front lawn for no apparent reason whatsoever. Uh, he gets you know tires and vehicles and puts them out across his spread. He gets a big TV with a satellite dish as big as a truck and puts it on the side of his house. And then he probably lights off fireworks occasionally for no apparent reason whatsoever, and on a holiday shoots his gun in the air. So th- he, does, he does that. And he says at the end of it, I tried wisdom. I tried folly. I've tried crooked. I've tried to, to straighten things out, and it is all lost. It's like Dr. Zeus. It's not here. It's not there. It's not anywhere. He is attacking the reality of how most people spend their lives. If you're wealthier, at some point you think, man, my life, I just need to do it simpler. And so you look around, that person's got a tiny house, I'll try a tiny house. And then you realize at the end of that, well, that's not simpler, that's just a whole lot of my wife and I stepping on top of each other all the time. I don't know what to do with that. And 
eventually you realize it's not actually the answer. Today, there's even this movement among Christian men who feel like they're missing something, and instead of finding that in Jesus, they latch onto this thing of, I'm going to be a caveman and live in the woods. Not that that's bad for some of you. Maybe some of you should do that. Uh, but there's, this answer is touted as, go out in the woods, kill an animal, don't base, simmer in your man juices, and you will find satisfaction you're looking for. Solomon says, none of it brings satisfaction. You may feel like it does for a while, but eventually it's going to fade. You can be back exactly where you started, trying to find satisfaction under the sun in what you create and not what your creator has done for you. And I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy your car, your stuff, or the things God places in your hands, because you should. Ecclesiastes later in the happy part, well, it's not always happy, but there he starts to tell you why some of these things are, are great. But our satisfaction in life isn't from our stuff. It's from our God who gives us gifts. Solomon says, listen, I live the wealthy life. And simplicity is not the answer. And he says, and I also lived unbelievably simple, and it was still meaningless. And yet those two groups always look at each other and think they'd be better off. The poor look at the wealthy and say, oh, if I just had more money. And the wealthy, well, they don't say I want to be poor, but they say I'd like it simpler, right? And even in that, they're still never finding what they're actually looking for. Everybody seems to always want what everybody else has, and they find life never satisfies them. And Psalm's like, I did them both. And they're both meaningless because satisfaction does not come under the sun in what we create. Now, I kind of do worry about you guys as we walk through these first six weeks of this because, I mean, it's, it's pretty much a bummer, okay? I get it. I get it. It's why, it's why in a newscast, they always end with some uplifting story of like, hey, this guy saved this old lady, or they got a kitten out of a tree, or have you seen this litter of bunnies? Isn't it cute? Because they don't want you to go out and kill yourself because it's always sad and depressing because of the sin in our world. Solomon doesn't do that, right? He gets to the end of chapter 1, and he just keeps going. Verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases increases knowledge, increases sorrow. It's like he says, the longer you live, the more you see, and the more you see, the more you know, and the more you know, the sadder you are, and the sadder you are, the more you need medication. It's kind of how it goes. He's trying to wake us up to understand the human condition, and it is not something that we can fix, but he's pointing to take us somewhere. Much of the words in Ecclesiastes, what they do is they kind of point back to Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. In Genesis, you see God reveal himself as not being under the sun. God steps into the world under the sun when he makes us, but he's not from that. God has no beginning. God has no end. God is good. God puts creation together, and God calls creation good. God doesn't call creation meaningless or vanity or vapor. He calls it good. And then God makes mankind and places them in this creation as his image bearers, and he calls us very good. He doesn't call us meaningless. He doesn't call us vanity. He doesn't call us vapor. All creation is put together and given life like a web, and it's tethered to who God is. In the book Disciple by Bill Clem, he talks about how kites are free only when they're tethered correctly by a string. Like you go out and fly a kite, and it's soaring up there. It's like, oh, this is great and wonderful, and you think, man, it could really be free if I just let it go. What happens when you let go of a kite? Boom! If you, go fly a kite if you haven't done it, okay? It's, we're Santa Maria. we got lots of wind. I caught it in these jars for you. No, no you, can, you can go out and, and fly a kite. You let go of it, it spirals down and crashes. Creation and our lives are like this kite. We must be tethered to God for there to be any meaning in our lives. And what happens is these first parents living in this garden believe they could have life and wisdom apart from God. They become arrogant and they become prideful, just like we are today. They search for ways to be their own gods and rule their own lives. They did this thing that we call sin. And because of their sin, all of creation starts to collapse in upon itself. We're even told that creation groans to be restored. 
The tether with God was severed, and chaos and death has been the legacy ever since, and it explains the world state. That's what Solomon is trying to get you to understand in these first couple chapters. That's his conclusion. It's, it's meaningless. And if you have never been to Element before or to a church and you hear me say the word sin, you probably have no idea what that means when I say that. When I say sin, I don't mean the, the types of food you eat or the company you keep or the beverages you consume, unless it's like light beer or Diet Mountain Dew. Those are definitely sin. Um, what I mean is that everyone knows that there's something that is actually broken in the world around us. As Christians, we believe what happened to the world is from this thing called the fall of man when sin entered the world, when we rebelled against God and the tether relationship with God was broken and we sought death and not life. One of the best definitions of sin that I ever read is from this old existential philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. Some of this stuff is weird, some of it's brilliant, but Soren Kierkegaard said this, sin is building your self-worth, that would be your meaning in life on anything other than God. And when he talks about that, he says many times we will take good things. I think of all the things we started with, religion, power, wealth, pleasure, friends, work. They're all great things. They're not evil. But when we take a good thing and we try and make that the ultimate thing in our life, it always leads to destruction. It always becomes meaningless and vapor. Matt Chandler and Tim Keller both write this. When you take a good thing and you make it an ultimate thing, you have absolutely guaranteed that that thing will drive you into the ground. Think about this like a... Social media today. I think social media can be a great thing. I think it connects people. You can tell people what's going on in your life what's, and what's kind of happening around you and things like that. But we tend to look at social media now that gives us worth and meaning and value. We're always staring at our phones, seeing what everybody else is doing because they're having so much fun and they're not with us. Guys, let me tell you what social media looks like. It's, it's like, click. Yeah, you got it? Yeah, okay. Everybody shut up. I'm on the phone. <laughs> click. Here's my family. They're so great. Click. Shut up. And it was like, oh, man, they got a great family. Everything's so wonderful. It's not. It's meaningless. It's wind. They're just chasing after these things. We have to understand that. See, I know, right? When we take things in our lives and make it the ultimate goal, it always drives into God. Think about wealth, right? A lot of people search after wealth. Let's get a lot of money. You can accumulate it. You can even buy that house that you always wanted. But you're going to spend all your time trying to make money to pay for the mortgage on the house. You never get to live in the house. And in the end, Solomon says you're going to die. It's meaningless. How about religion? This might hit home. You know, you can spend all of your time really being really good and moral and trying to do all those things about righteous. But righteousness and morality and our own personal goodness was never the point. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to bring the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God back into our lives to restore the tether of life. Salvation is when God rescues us by his gracious gift and restores us to himself. So the tether is restored between us and him and he sets us free. Man was originally supposed to steward God's creation as God stewarded man. And since we fell in sin, we ran headlong away from God. And so God lays out all these promises of what that would mean. And some of those things are about how creation is going to fight against us. It's going to push against us in all we do. And if we're honest, we can be frustrated with creation around us. you ever get frustrated at anything? It means you're becoming biblical. It, it really does. The frustration you feel when things break and the earth fights us is meant to humble us and remind us of how we treat God and his faithfulness to us. God, our lives mirror God's dealing with us. It's to show that God loves us and that our price for sin is great and we should become humble and run from our autonomy and go back to him. And so what God does is he promises Jesus would come to redeem all that was lost at this fall, that he would restore us. All that sin had lost, he would restore again. You see these promises in Genesis 3.15 and Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15. 
the answer to our existential hangover is, is not King Solomon and his words. It is King Jesus. 900 years after Solomon wrote these words in Ecclesiastes, Jesus comes. He lives without sin. He is tempted in every way that we are. After his birth, it's interesting, these people called the Magi, we actually call that wise men in the Bible, they come seeking truth. There are people who would ask these questions, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? People would go to them and ask them, what is the meaning of life? And they end up on their knees before Jesus. That's the meaning of life. Jesus lived wisdom, unlike Adam or Solomon who simply possessed it. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In the book of Matthew, Jesus tells us one greater than Solomon is here, and he's referring to himself. He's greater than Solomon because though Solomon knew our problem was sin, Solomon could never do anything to fix it. He couldn't forgive sin. He couldn't make people love. He couldn't restore people to God. He has no solution to offer. But when Jesus comes, he dies for our sin. What separated us from God and one another, he redeems us from our cursed life. He gives us his righteousness as a gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 to 31 says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are also in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Turning from sin to him is the answer to the meaninglessness and the folly of life that is under the sun. The scriptures basically say that the world was so crooked, and when Jesus came, he was so straight, we didn't understand him, so we killed him. And even at this place of the cross, something miraculous happens. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Because of what happened at that cross, we get Jesus' righteousness placed upon us. First Peter 1.18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty, read, meaningless way of life handed you down to you from your ancestors. It's not with silver or gold and all these things that we chase after that we are saved. It's by God's gracious gift to us. God comes down under the sun to re-spin this tether of life and grace. He is born in the person of Jesus because life has no meaning unless creator and creation are connected. And when they are, it is glorious and it is beautiful and life has meaning. Every movement and religion is man trying to bridge this gap. If we could rise out from being under the sun and connect with God, we'll do it. We can never do it. So God comes down under the sun into our vapor to rescue us where we are. And people today will say things like, if I just had this, or if I was only that, it's all a lie of vapor. Sometimes religion sounds exactly the same way. Follow Jesus, and he'll give you blank. These are the seven steps to a better you. It's really the old you with just more willpower. It's, it, it's all dumb. Jesus says, seek God's kingdom. He will take care of you. He will hold you. He will bring you home. He knows what you really need, and that is him. And you may have something in your life right now that is totally freaking you out. Maybe it's a money situation, a relationship that's falling apart. Uh, You have this sense of well-being that's falling apart, and you want the answer to everything. It's all vapor. It comes and goes. Our invitation through Jesus is to something uncreated, a wisdom beyond wisdom and life and joy and hope. In John 10, 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He basically says, you are living and breathing, but you're not alive. You are just existing. But in me, there's true life. There's what I created you to be. Will you trust me? Will you walk with me? 
Surrender your life to me, and I will tether you to the creator, and you will fly like I intended you to be. Matt Chandler says this, Christ removes the futility and vanity from the soul and brings about the purpose that you and I are dying for. The good news of the gospel is how God restores this tether in the person of Jesus. We are connected to who he is, and we get to live in life and joy and hope again. So I hope you don't walk out from this just feeling more depressed as ever as we keep talking about meaningless, but you feel the joy in that, that all that Solomon is driving us towards would make us look up and see what God has done in the rescue of us so we would have this great joy and begin to live that out and realize we don't have to run trying to catch the wind. We can be a people who trust God, who has stepped into our world to rescue and save us. That's what takes us to communion every single week. Where you break that cracker that reminds us of Christ's body broken for us. And you dip it in the wine or the grape juice. Reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because he comes to rescue and bring us home and retether us to life again. All that we had done to sever that tether and grab on to, to all the things in our world and hold them so close to us. Oh, I just got to have this. this is a th- and then that thing totally disappoints. He says, no, instead of you trying to hold on to that thing, I will come and I will hold you. And I will hold you to myself. And I will rescue you. This is what he does. And this is what we remember at the place of communion. Christ's coming and removing what separates us from God and us from one another and restoring us to him. The band's going to come up. As I do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons in the back, and if you need prayer, if you have been someplace in your life and you have been hugging all these different things to yourself, whether it's a claim from what people say about you, whether it's a house, a car, a job, a per- whatever it is, and you're holding on something so tight and that thing is always disappointing, so you're always angry and you're always lashing out, they would love to pray with you about that because you're trying to find your meaning and hope in life in something that is simply temporary. And our focus doesn't need to be on us or our stuff or other people. Our focus needs to first be on the person of Jesus Christ. That's where it's supposed to be. Because when our focus is set correctly, everything else then comes back into focus in the right way. And so we trust him. We trust the uncreated one who has stepped into creation to rescue his people. Is there, are, there are offering boxes next to every door we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We do not pass the plate. It's always a response to what he has done. There's food outside. Grab something to eat. Take some sermon notes. And maybe this week, sit down with some people around you and start to ask some of these questions. Like, what have you tethered your life to? Is your life actually tethered to Christ or is it tethered to something or the accumulation or wanting more? Or you find, where do you find your purpose and hope in? Talk about those things. Because even though we are people who say we love and follow Jesus, many times we tether our lives to a lot of things that are not him. And God wants us tethered to who he is because that brings true life, that he restores us to life and meaning again, and nothing has to be vapor because our God is good and he loves you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for being so gracious and good to us. Father, if we are honest about our lives so often, we try and tether ourselves to all these things that are not you. And yet when you come into our lives, you start to sever all of those things and you connect us to you. And many times we try and sever the tether with you that you hold us and you call us and bring us back to you because you are good. And this morning I ask that we would get our eyes off of others and ourselves and things and put our eyes back to where they need to be upon who you are and that would then change how we live that we wouldn't be myopic and just stare at ourselves but we would look and see the world around us 
and we would go and serve and love and give because you have first loved us, that we live in response to all the goodness that you have done. That all the places we look around and think, that's just so meaningless, we could begin to see your redemption in the midst of it. And that we would be a people who understand that everything we do can mean everything for eternity. And we would live in such hope and wonder of who you are that we would simply be humbled in amazement of your goodness towards us. And it would change how we live because of what you have done. And that all that we do would become worship of you where you would gain great glory as we live in your redemptive joy. And we ask all these things in your son's good name. Amen.